Wynn and I want to express our gratitude for every one of our listeners. Thank you for being a part of this podcast and sharing this space with us each week. We are now offering an opportunity to work with Wynn or myself individually in a deeper look towards what's true about life and who you really are. If you'd like to know more, email me or Wynn for more details. In a three-day dive under the noise, anything is possible. Let's find out. Now on to the podcast. Welcome. This podcast is an exploration into being human and what's possible when there's less attention on the noise in our heads. Warning. While listening to this broadcast, you may experience moments of deep peace, sighs of relief, personal insights, or long stretches of dead air. Do not be afraid. This is normal. Under the Noise with Wynne Morgan and Kate Roberts. Welcome to this week's episode of Under the Noise with me and my fabulous co-host, Kate Roberts. Um, I'm Wynne Morgan, and today we've got a special guest, Simon Munney. Now, Simon, one thing that we like to spring on guests <laughs> early in our chat is the question, how would you introduce yourself to someone who's never met or heard your name before? <laughs> that is a good question. Well, it depends in what context, I suppose, we met. If it was a dinner party, I would follow social convention and lead with what I do and what I'm best known for, in which case I would talk about my broadcasting career, my podcast, my book, my speaking. If it was um, a conversation in which I knew the people I was talking to shared a similar interest in looking at life and or recognizing how things are, then I would dive into that line of speaking. And I think I would cut the small talk and, and, and go straight to my interest in reality and my interest in life and our shared innate whole being. Well, you've opened that up for us, so I'd love to hear, and I'm sure everyone else would, more about reality, life, and being. You'd like me to dive into that? Okay. Well, I think that I have to... Um, I should probably share my story then to get into that. And so I would say um, my story really starts, probably the easiest place to start, is with suffering in terms of um, I don't really need to go into the, the nature-nurture side, but let's just say I, I at school, for example, was um, a naughty boy. And by that, I don't mean I was in big trouble, but I just, um, I have and don't and continue to not have a filter, particularly good filter between, between my thoughts that arise and the whole out of which they emerge. And uh, so I was in trouble a lot at school, but I was fortunate in that I was academic and also sporty. So despite being in trouble day in, day out for just being 
cheeky, um, gobby, as you might say, I did all right. But there was, and I think outwardly, people perceive me as as confident, arrogant, even in in some cases. Um, but as is so often the case, behind that bravado is insecurity, is sensitivity, is suffering. And so as I got older um, at university, I studied broadcast journalism and it really started to manifest in, in a more challenging way in firstly, in terms of anxiety and insomnia specifically. I, I wouldn't have ever called it anxiety. It was only the, I would have called it insomnia. The night before my finals, um, I couldn't sleep for the first time. And then that seed was sown of doubt about insomnia and that grew and, and it grew really badly as I entered the world of work in my twenties and I was a fully blown insomniac and I was desperate to fix it. And, and I was trying all sorts and I got addicted to sleeping pills or rather I was just taking them. The doctor was giving them to me and I was taking them nightly really for a year. Um, and around this time, I knew that I wanted answers. And so I started out on what I think is a fairly stereotypical route, which is the self-help route. You know, I started reading books, whether they be the you know, seven habits of successful people to various other ones. I couldn't even say a Paul McKenna one. <laughs> I remember years ago where I tried to visualize the ideal me and that certainly didn't work. Um, and but the, 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 the ball was rolling, so to speak. And then um, a, a really fundamental point for me came actually when I was getting so frustrated with the insomnia and I got back into broadcasting. And what I used to do was I used to, before I was back in broadcasting, my, early in my career, I was doing advertising sales and I would get up and feel groggy from the sleeping pill and I would go to the gym before work to sweat it out. But then when I got back into broadcasting, I was doing the breakfast show, which meant I had to get up at 4 a.m. and I'd be on air at 5 a.m. And obviously there are no gyms open at that time. And throw the insomnia on top of that. And I was an anxious wreck. And so I knew I really had to do something about that. And actually at that time I went to the doctors. He we don't need to get into that, but you know, he, I, I got a bit of help with my sleep. But actually it set me right. I need to, I need to crack this. And I completely fortuitously found this guy called Dr. Guy Meadows, who I've interviewed on my podcast, the Life Lessons podcast. And he comes at sleep from a, an act, an acceptance and commitment therapy point of view. And I see act as, and I don't know what people know about act, but I'm going to assume something or you can Google it. But I see act as almost like a gateway drug into the understanding that I find fascinating. Because I'd been trying to fix this insomnia. I'd been wrestling with thoughts in my head. I'd been resisting them and, and battling with emotions in my body. And all that had done is it revved it up. I was just permanently shaking the snow globe. And he just said this one line to me that just slapped me around the face, like, you know, like a, a Mike Tyson punch. Honestly, it had such an impact on me. And he just said something along the lines of, it's really important to distinguish, distinguish between the thinking mind that conceptualizes judges and labels and the aware mind. And I was like, boof, 
there's an, an aware mind. And it just be- suddenly became obvious to me. And I didn't go back and see him. And he, he introduced to me specifically for help with sleep, a diffusion technique. So let's say a thought came up going, um, I'm not going to sleep tonight. Tomorrow's going to be awful. Instead of perhaps getting into a dialogue with that of, oh, I could sleep, you know, there's five hours left or, or trying to ignore it. I go, oh, I'm aware of the thought. I'm not going to sleep tonight. And all of a sudden, there's just this little gap. And that just really opened a crack in my um, the w- way of viewing things that just grew and grew and grew. And, you know, that's not to say the suffering stopped and by any stretch and, and not to say <laughs> the suffering still doesn't stop, but it, it just snowballed. And then various serendipitous things happened, um, it, including including quite an important psychedelic experience I had and um, just meeting the right people at the right time. You know, people come into your life that, that you need to know and then one thing led to another. And, um, and I was, the first book I read that had a real impact on me, I'd had The Power of Now actually in my audio books for five years and never read it. You know, his voice put me off. But I read um, A New Earth and just loved it. And I just kept reading that. And so that was in about 2013. And then about 2015, 2016, uh, sort of got introduced to Rupert Spira. And then just started really becoming in, ever more interested in this. I like to call it the aware mind because I think it's more accessible that way. But, but awareness, the ground of being, presence, aware presence, whatever you want to call it. And, and then that, it's like that has just, the more I have become aware of that, the more it has gone from being invisible initially to the background of experience to very obvious. And yeah, that, and that's now, it's the thing I'm most interested in. It, it's the thing I read about. It's the thing I talk about. It's, it's everything to me, really. And, and it informs how I feel about myself. <laughs> Because previously, let's say I had insecurity and shame and stuff like this that I would resist. Now, when these things come up, knowing that, that yes, there's the human part of me with my patterns and all that stuff, and there's some tidying up to do, and I believe that with all of us, but there's also this, the awareness that is, I, I would say is shared, that we all share, that is, is the ground of being. And let's say identifying, I don't like the word identifying, but identifying more with that or shifting my identity from this conceptual self to this awareness means that when those, the, the shame or the anxiety or the whatever comes up, it's no longer a resistance. It's an opportunity to allow it to come up and it's almost a portal into it. And, um, and then I would say just to round this off, that um, this being in touch with and increasingly aware of awareness then has given me a sense of confidence and humility because I know I would assert confidently, very confidently, I can't prove it, but I would assert it very confidently, that my awareness is the same as your awareness, is the same as Kate's awareness. There is only one awareness. 
And therefore, on that level, we're all the same. And therefore, on that level, no one is better or worse than anyone else. And so that gives you that, I don't like the word self-esteem, so I'm not going to use it, that self-acceptance, whatever, whatever you want to say on that front. But also, it informs the way you relate. And it certainly does for me. It's why would I put someone on a pedestal? Why would I be intimidated by someone? Why would I look down on someone who are, who's serving me in a restaurant or behind? And so it, every encounter I have, I find increasingly is just informed by this recognition that has made me feel better internally and made my relationships and way of relating in the world so much better, but it's not something I've had to do with effort. It, it, the understanding and the recognition does it all on its own. So that, that, yeah, I'm going to stop there. I think I've said enough. Lovely. That was great to listen to. Thank Thanks you for sharing all of that. Simon. Thank you. So Simon, I got a question for you. You talked about that part of you that's now kind of moving from the background that was really quiet into the foreground of your experience more and more, I guess. Mm -hmm. What was the most recent kind of insight that you've had that really kind of just stopped you in your tracks? Like the most recent. <laughs> I've had a very quick image thought pop up, which is that, so since COVID, I've been primarily working at home, and particularly because I've been writing a book. Um, but I still go up into London and I do presenting for the BBC, broadcasting for the BBC. and. I do it on the breakfast show on Radio 4, the Today program. So I get picked up at 20 past four in the morning, which is not fun in winter, let me tell you. And, uh, <laughs> and, and I go in and then I'm on air from sort of six till nine and it's intense, it's full on. But, and th the last time I did this, by the way, was actually January 1st. I took the, I took the New Year's Day shift because we've just had a baby. I'm like, I'm going to be in bed by eight anyway, so I'll, I'll take that shift. So January 1st, people still staggering around the streets you know, from their night out. Not as many as I'd expected. but um, So I'm finish I finish at actually about quarter to nine. And then I walk back through. I, I, I don't get on the tube. I like to walk through London. And it's about a 40 minute walk to get to the station and then get the train home. And I love this walk because when I talk about this aware mind awareness, um, when I'm in a house as I am now, it can, it can feel somewhat limited. Now, I'm not saying it is limited, but you know, invariably my experience, you know, I'm in a room. It's not vast in that way. From that, let's say from a visual perspective, when I'm walking through London and it's at the crack of dawn 
and I've finished and I've done this intense work and, and I'm walking through. It's like a, again, to use the word, I would say it's like a psychedelic experience because yes, okay, occasionally I'll get caught in my thoughts of, oh, I've got to go home and do this. But I'll let that go and I'll come back. And, and you know, I'm no more aware of the thought here than I am of the Houses of Parliament, which is at one point in the walk, you know, half a mile away in the distance. Everything is in this vast awareness. And I can't say I'm any more aware of my body than I am of the furthest point. And so for that reason, it's just a... It's a walk that I, I love, and it's, it has a quality to it that is, it's the same as I used to have 10 years ago. It's the same walk, but the quality is so different. The quality is one of, of awe, of connection, of gratitude, of peace, of presence. It's, um, it's a really beautiful experience. I'm actually doing my next shift on Saturday already thinking about that walk back. I can't wait. I love it. At that time in the morning, and I'm going through London, you know, amazing, amazing um, places to see. I might walk past the Houses of Parliament and stuff like that, across the bridge. And, you know, in this meditative state, you could say, not in a intentionally meditative state but it is a meditative meditative state and it's it has this beautiful quality to it that i that i love and that was most recently on on january the first that's um it's such a good example too of how we know that our experience is coming from the inside out is because you had the same walk before mm. and this experience is so different and mm. it's the same, like nothing's different mm. and i love that i love that mm. yeah it's a it's this recognition and i do come back to it often i try and come back to often and it's not even try and come back to it. i do come back to it often it's just this hang on a sec awareness is here it's on it's no brighter or less bright than it's ever been it's as alive as it's ever been ageless it's pristine it's always there of course i get lost in the stories the simon stories and the, the mundanity but you know and then suddenly we bing, oh it's still here still here still the same and then i just that's what i mean by it comes from the back to the foreground it's become more and more aware of it and it's uh um, it's a beautiful refuge. Question I'm often asked on that point is that I think most of us can, well, I've yet to speak to anyone who doesn't relate to that, a similar experience to that, where their awareness and consciousness is expanded to that extent. And it feels meditative, even if it's not been the act of meditation. 
question I'm often asked, especially in the business world, is lovely, but what's that got to do with real world and living a life when I'm often asked? How do you answer that one? That's like the million dollar question in many ways, from a, certainly from a business point of view, is okay, great, but so what? Um, and I, I still am working on putting this in the best possible way. Um, and writing my book helped with this to a degree because I, th I think that, I think that for me, it's about, a shift in identity and previously my identity like most people's and identity has become even more important to people generally speaking over the last x years it's it's people take it very seriously and you know, my and so that's why your question at the start was interesting wasn't it it's like because you can answer in the traditional way. Well, I do this. I think this. I believe this. I this is my story, and this is my tribe. Blah blah blah. All that stuff. And so my answer would be around that to to bring it into a what I think is quite an easy way to understand it is again that thinking mind and aware mind. So the thinking mind is the one that comes up with this story about who we are about. I'm Simon, I'm a journalist, I'm a dad, um, I used to suffer, I have ADHD, I um, love tennis, you know, I, etc. right? I am slightly left-leaning, potentially, politically. You know, all of that stuff. So that's, those are all just this big bundle of ideas and concepts. And then you've got the aware mind that is there before that. And we've got an eight-month-old baby downstairs. You know, she's certainly not drummed up any concepts yet and is all the better for it. You know, she's just, just present. And so for me, I think the more that you can recognize this aware mind, this awareness, and, it, and it's funny how difficult people find it. And yet, because and someone, a friend of mine... <laughs> talks about it in terms of going from invisible to subtle to obvious. And that's my experience is because if you just stop for a moment and think, or, or just consider, is there anything in your experience right now that you're not aware of? Is there ever, could there ever be anything that you're not aware of? No. So this awareness is, is the link is the thread that links all experience that links everything. And so for me, as you shift your identity, not as something you do, but as a recognition from this idea of who you are to whatever it is that is aware of this idea of who you are, then what I would say is the identity starts to become softer, more transparent, certainly less important. And what does that mean? That means that you've got less to defend. You've got less reasons to get into arguments. Um, I think I would argue you, 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 you're more able to experience flow. I talk about flow in my book, and that's the and I, this is why I think sport is such a good way of looking at this because 
I argue that it's not about the trophies, it's not about success, it's we love flow. And we were speaking about tennis before we started recording, and I love Roger Federer. And you know, watching someone like that in flow is is remarkable. But the question is, okay, it's not just about the flow. Like, why do we love flow? Because that sense of self goes, because our identity goes. And so you know, thoughts about past and thoughts about future go. And if our thoughts about past and future go, there can be no identity because an identity can only stand in as a narrative over conceptual time. And so when we're here now, it's meaningless. And, And we're able to get in touch with what's there prior to the story. And so what I would say is... What I would say is the more that you can become aware of this awareness, it just, it just influences and impacts your relationships it, in such a way, it, to quote a wise man, Jesus, and he said, love thy neighbor like thyself. And what I like about that quote is it's, it's not about because it's the right thing to do, because he's a nice guy. It's because, no, recognize that on that level, he's you and you're him. And she's you and you're her. And therefore, this, this ease of relating and, and, and coming from a place of love and expressing that in your relationships and your activities and what you do just becomes more natural. And then as well, as the identity becomes less, um, less strong, you know, why would, why would you get into arguments about tribal matters or, you know, that we see the tribal conflicts that are going on. They're not, they're utterly nonsensical. The idea that my tribe versus your, it doesn't, it makes no sense on that level. And then, and then I think, um, you know, flow is this elusive state. So flow is described as this state where you perform and feel at your best. Well, and so people think they have to do extreme sport or play sport or play music or whatever to get into it. And of course, you know, we, there are so many portals into, let's say, the, this really profound state of it. But actually, it's available at any time just by noticing that we're not this con- conceptual self with the thing, with whatever it is that is aware of it that stands there peaceful at ease. And, and we can drop into that at any point, which is why I love ACT and the diffusion technique. I'm aware of, I'm aware of the thought. I'm aware of the sight, the sound. You know, we can drop into that at any moment. And the more we do that, the more habitual and natural it becomes. And then the, the easier life does flow in my experience. I don't know if that explained it well or not, When Certainly long answer. As to me, it explains it very well to me. And you know, I can relate to parallels in my own life and in my own work with people. So, yeah. I love what you said about this space. I don't know if you use that word, actually. But the, the space between the thought and actually believing it. You know, you made this like, yeah, like there was this space. You know, for me, my space when I first learned about it was more. <laughs> no space, right? Yeah. Tiny, tiny little space. Yeah. 
you know, between having a thought and, and actually believing it. And it can start so small and yet, and yet change everything. Mm, absolutely. Mm. It's the most important thing, I think. Yeah, I had it when I was first, you know, kind of coming to this understanding and starting to see some of that. I was having a conversation with another coach who's actually been on the show before, Steph Benedetto. And she she said, you know, that you talk about how small that is, that space. And she's like, there's an entire fucking universe in it. And I was like, <laughs> right? Because that's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As it's infinite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where are the boundaries? Yeah. There ain't none. Yeah. And that's what's possible for every single person. It's, it's what's real for every single person. It's, 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 it, it just is for every single person. But because as you said before, when we were talking about my walk, it's not like anything's changed. It's just the recognition is different. Like the relationship to everything mm. around you is different. Mm. Mm. And so how does that apply in business? What? Mm. How does that apply in every part of your life? Not just business. Mm. If your relationship to everything around you is different and creativity yeah. is just at your fingertips, like how would that not change everything in business? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Lack of pressure, more ease, better relationships, less competition, I would say. Doesn't mean you don't obviously go for the contract or whatever, but that less dog eat dog. Just, I mean, the implications, if you really follow this through, the implications are just infinitely deep. Um, There's a quote I quite like. Um, uh, Rupert Spira always uses it, and I, I can't remember who it was that said it. But anyway, it go and it goes as a guide for living life: love and do as you will. And all that means is recognize that this, that my being, my awareness, is not mine. <laughs> it's shared with you and Win and and everyone and everything. And from that understanding, orienteer your life. It's so simple. Because I, I said this in a conversation with, with him and Bernardo Castro. You know, I think until this recognition is widespread enough, political change and everything like that, it's really just shuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic. Whereas I, th- I for me, I, I'm an optimist on it. I feel like at some point it has to, there has to be a tipping point where this becomes so obvious to everyone. Because I think, I'm sure I can speak on behalf of both of you that it, once you see it and it gets deeper and deeper, it is so obvious and undeniable. And, you know, I hope there's a tipping point because then the implications for the way we live as a species, the way we treat each other, the way we treat animals, the way we treat the planet, the just, I mean, are so vast. 
And it all comes from this simple little small tweak, change. But everything can change from it. Everything. And, and that's why I think, you know, I admire people like you having these conversations. And it's hard not to, isn't it? It's hard not to have these. You know, some people don't get this. A lot of people don't get this. It's still niche. But I can't not talk about it. I couldn't not talk about it in my book because it feels to me like the most important thing to talk about. It's just about how do you package it to make it accessible to as many people as possible. I think that's the challenge. Um, yeah. I think the, the sporting metaphor is one that's, as you said, very ripe for it because we can just see that individual pursuit of results. and. Uh, playing for the fun of it mm. is when anyone is at their best. 100%. The state of flow, which is not only about sport, it's just mm. where it's really visible to notice it. Absolutely. You know, as in listening to the, to the conversation that the two of you were having there, Kate and Simon, it was, it just reminded me again of, I don't know, the paradox or the, the irony, the irony of, here am I thinking what I think about me is the real bit. And that's the illusion. But how compelling it is that the illusion is looking real until I saw that space that Kate was pointing at that I would have absolutely seen all the time as an eight-month-old baby. And at some point, I fell for the illusion. Hmm. And thankfully, I got woken up to the fact mm. of the illusion. Yeah. And then what that can mean in my own life. And then and hopefully the people who are welcome into conversations. Yeah. Yeah. The irony of what's real and what isn't mm. in our minds mm. can be the opposite of how it really is. So I find that just so beautiful irony. Yeah. I mean, it's cosmic joke, right? Yeah. Another way of saying it, cosmic joke. Yeah. And one way of saying it to me, for, for me in my own mind, is that I don't know if this is true, but it's what makes sense to me right now is that it's that gift that enables us in this awareness to have a physical manifestation, mm. to be able to have touch, to have mm. taste, to have emotions that look like they're coming from something. It's just an amazing capacity that, that we have in this little, in our own little prism. Yeah. Can I, can I just say something to, can I just say something to that win? It's quite interesting. Mm. So, um, when I met my wife, I, I think I spoke about this on our first date, you know, um, and she certainly, I think she humored me to start with. And, uh, but I didn't stop talking about it. And, and over time, she's, she's learned more and more. But what, what I've, what's come to realize is so about, I don't know, four years ago, she was going through a bit of a stressful time. And so she started meditating and she started doing mantra meditation. And I did as well. I, I I've toyed with all sorts of meditations and self-inquiries and blah, blah, blah. But she started doing mantra meditation and 
realize that she's got some serious gifts because she would like immediately head on the ceiling, body disappear, arm like just, you know, like wild. And turns out that, yeah, she can, she's gifted, shall we say, in a certain, in that way, right? So I'm more the kind of almost philosophical, you know, I completely am aware of awareness and that never changes, but you know, it's still, it, I'm, I talk about it in a way that she doesn't, but she experiences it actually in a, in a, in a quite beautiful way. So she, she, I hope she won't mind me saying this, but she astral projects and the first time she did it, she came out of her body and she was everything. <laughs> and, and she was like, oh, this is what Simon's been going on about. <laughs> and, and, and it, was, it wasn't scary. You know, it was just like, of course, it was like, of course. Ah, oh. and, and yeah, um, I've been quite jealous of that. Like she's, she's a Reiki master. Like she's, she's very intuitive and emotion is strong on that, in that sense and it, it gifted in that way. But it, it's just been interesting watching, you know, like it's it's the yin and the yang actually in our relationship. That, but to see her experience it on that level, um, which is, you know, I, I don't, I don't think it really changes anything. But still, it's like I'm like, cool, that's cool. That is cool. <laughs> I have another question for you, Simon. So. You know, you talk about identity, right? And my, my experience is when I started to catch on that it was all made up, hmm. that it wasn't as solid as it hmm. felt, mm-hmm. there's like this initial reaction to grab hold of it because... To some extent, it really seemed like that that's what's holding you together. Is this is who I am. And if mm-hmm. you don't have that, mm-hmm. what? Right? So there's this like, no, right? This protecting of what you think is holding you together. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's everybody's experience, but I guess my question is, what would you say to someone? who's just starting to catch on that that maybe their identity isn't so solid as they thought. And maybe it's a little scary at first. I don't know. Like what what would you say to somebody if they were in that exact moment where it had just started? First of all, I'd say congratulations. Hallelujah. (laughs) Thank goodness. You know, because I've had this conversation with people who are so identified with their identity, conceptual identity, that it's um, it's lonely. Actually, is how I would describe it, because you're not relate. You're relating to a to an idea, <laughs> you know. And so, first of all, I'd say that I completely understand the scary part. Um, you know, I've certainly had had moments of that. As I said, like my. Simon, the body mind, whatever you want to say, I've has had anxiety, uh, you know, uh, far less prominent, but you know, I wouldn't say it's completely not part of my life, but you know, certainly 
you know, it was infinitely more problematic because I resisted it, you know, um, back in the day. But I remember, I remember we went on holiday to South Africa a few years ago and came back and it was just this 24 hour flight and it was via Dubai and it was anyway. And I came back and I lay on my bed and, and I had this existential terror of like, of, it's hard to describe what it was like, but it was, it was of completely, I don't want to say crossing over because that's got connotations with death, but, but yeah, the ego going like, and I, my, my experience and my view, and I'm not, I don't know because I've met some pretty, pretty gifted and advanced people. And so actually I'm probably more open to, you know, a lot of people say, oh, enlightenment's not an experience. And, and I, I think that's true. I think fundamentally the recognition's the, unquestionably the most important thing and the easiest thing, and it changes everything. But I do also think that I know some people and have met some people who can ex who experience things um, in, in a different way altogether um, or can do. And so I, I, there is still small Simon there, you know, and I, you know, I, of course, I, and I think it's disingenuous to deny that. I spend a lot of time in small Simon as small Simon. And, but then you just have those moments of remembering and they become more and more often. And so I understand the fear, but more than that, it's, it's just a congratulations. It's a, it, it, it's a, it's a gradual waking up, isn't it? And, and, you know, I, I wouldn't even say that, that that fear won't hit me again. Um, but I think once, once the cracks there, there's no papering it up. There's no, there's no plastering it up. And that's a good thing. That's unquestionably a good thing. As we wrap this up, Simon, I do want to plug your book. If you're not going <laughs> to do it, me. I will. Um, <laughs> so the book is um, Simon Mundy and it's champion thinking. My, my copy's here. It's been out, what, 10 days now? Yeah, a week. And, and I, I came down sick literally the day after it came out. So, yeah, so I'm only just back sort of thinking about it. But, uh, yeah. And to the point that you just made, there's just heaps of example there of highly successful sports people who illustrate their, their most successful moments as the part when their identity wasn't there. But they don't realize it. That to me was, yeah, and, and have no real, no cause and effect or even, yeah. wait, that was yeah, a big yeah. deal. Yeah, um, yeah. Without seeing that, what the importance of that is for everyone. Great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So well, can I just, can I just, can I, I'll just, uh, so first of all, I'll just give a very quick, if I can. Um, overview should we say first of all the thinking of the thinking the title i think when you work with the big publishers there's a certain amount of negotiation um, so i just want to put that out there um because these ideas are you know when i was speaking to these in the in the boardrooms at, at bloomsbury you know there's some uh, people were nodding but you could because i do think people on a lot of people most pe a lot of people let's say 
intuitively get what we've been talking about even if their minds like what is he talking about there's on another level they're like yeah there's i, I kind of get it but i don't get it you know because the mind can't get it um but so what i wanted to you know and so within this book there's a lot of perhaps more accessible stuff around burnout emotional intelligence um but i always i'm trying to build throughout the book to this ultimate recognition around flow and around identity because I get, I get sent so many books as a podcast host that are along the lines of, um, you know, 10 steps to be successful. You know, here's how you can be a success. And so, and I, and I don't like them. I think they're a bit corrosive and, you know, they're all the same and growth mindset, blah, all that stuff. And so I wanted to flip reverse it. And, um, and, and if I had to sum it up, it would be this, it's, it's, you know, we think culturally that, you know, we'll be happy when X happens, the relationship, the car, the house, and in sport, that's obviously heightened the, the trophy, the world cup win, the Olympic gold. And so many people have got there and it found it unfulfilling and empty. So that means success by definition cannot be synonymous with, with what we really want, happiness, well-being, fulfillment. And as you say, Kate, you know, inside out, it's, Someone might experience it as wonderful, but another person might be empty. So it can't be the thing. It can't be the thing. Um, but no one experiences flow and does not experience it as enjoyable. It can't be. Now, why is that? Because our sense of self, our identity dissolves. And when our identity dissolves, we become one with what is. And that's what we want. And... <laughs> and that's that and i think sport's such a good way that the language everyone uses johnny wilkinson said said when he kicked the winning drop it wasn't me kicking it it was a knowing of it frankie dottori said you know it was like i was there but i wasn't there it's hard to explain damon hill um what did he say he says uh yeah it was like some something else was driving the car you know and no one sort of digging into this but you put them all together it's like okay hang on a sec if this me can go how real can it be <laughs> you know and and when it gets out of the way and this sort of magnificence is revealed and this one this this wonder that, that we really love is exposed then that's where we should be looking but everyone skirts over that and goes to the result goes to the trophy goes to the oh they earn this much they're worth this much they're sponsored by this they look at oh they're, they're, they're the goat whatever no 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 it's the, it's that moment that's where we need to look because it tells us everything we need to know about identity, about ourselves, about really where everything, yeah, everything important is, I would say. Beautiful. I'm glad you said that. Thank you, Wynn. Simon, thanks so much for being on the show. Kate, it's been an absolute pleasure. I love conversations like this. It's the best way to spend time. This is flow, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Wynn. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Wen. It's been really lovely. Thanks so much, guys. Just being beautiful. Beautiful. That's all I can say. I can feel my heart tingling. Genuinely, I can feel my heart tingling. What a lovely thing. Mm, love that. You've been listening to Under the Noise. I'm Kate Roberts, and I'm here with my co-host, Wen Morgan, and our guest today, Simon Mundy. Thanks again. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics, we'd love to hear it. Our details follow the podcast and have a great week. Thanks for joining us. We'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review. 
If you have a topic or question that you'd like us to chat about, email Wynn or Kate at win at winning.co.uk and kate at katerobertscoaching.com. Until then, enjoy what's possible under the noise.